the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Live from Northern California, it's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. Thank you, sir. Good afternoon. It is the 22nd day of August. I was just checking the reflexes of my engineer who (laughs) thought the ratings for the show were going to go up since you couldn't hear me talking. And that's where uh, lesson number one in radio broadcasting, turn on your microphone. (laughs) Well, uh, with that interesting faux pas to lead off the show tonight, hopefully it's only downhill from here. Welcome to the program on this Tuesday edition of Lifeline. A lot to talk about today. And if you haven't noticed, America's in trouble. Wow, wow, wow. Look at what's going on in the news. Look at the devastating fires that we're facing, not only in eastern Washington state. Of course, still the tragedy unfolding as the headcount of those that lost their lives on Maui continues to, I think, hopefully be some kind of a warning sign to all of us. And um, then when you add what's going on in terms of violence in the streets, lackadaisical district attorneys, by the way, if you haven't noticed, our own DA in the East Bay and Alameda County, Pamela Price, is going to be potentially facing a recall election. She's barely been in office eight months, and she's already um, being invited to join Chesa Boudin of San Francisco, our former uh, DA in the city, uh, on the unemployment line. But if you look at all of that and say that's bad enough, uh, then perhaps the thing that will really get under uh, your, uh, your craw is what's happening in education. And to give us a bit of an update here, we are joined by a lawyer, best-selling author, and educator himself, Mr. Joe Murray. Joe, good to have you on board. Welcome. Well, thank you so much. It's good to be back. I hope your summer is not as sweltering as it is right now in the great state of Tennessee. You know, we have been uh, generally, in an odd fashion in the greater Bay Area, a bit fortunate this year that it has not nearly been as sweltering um, as it was, say, summer a year ago. And a lot of that, I think, has to do with the El Nino effect. I mean, <laughs> looking at hurricanes yeah. making landfall in, in California for the and first the time in 85 years. There's nothing to see here. <laughs> well, Joe, let's talk about... Let's talk about a subject here that I know is near and dear to your heart. And, uh, boy, there's a lot to unpack in this story out of Portland. Um, You know, we've all kind of joked about um, so-called new math down through the years. And and undoubtedly, for those of us that kind of have just the basic fundamental understanding of, uh, you know, subtraction, addition, multiplication, and division, when you start to get into more complicated concepts, a lot of 
us reach for the telephone or the calculator. Um, and that being all well and good, it is far more troubling when we begin to see educators, I don't know what else to call this, Joe, but to say that they seem to be waving the flag and saying, well, if we can't succeed in in educating children to be successful at the basics that they're going to need in life, then instead of saying our kids are failing, our teachers are failing, the system is failing, let's just let's just rewrite all the rules so they don't fail anymore. Imagine if we did that for Olympic competitions or um, for so many other aspects of life. We're in the employment world where we just said, well, if you don't show up to work but half the time, that's okay. We'll still give you a full paycheck, which leads me me to wonder as you unfold the story for us this afternoon as um, we're suddenly moving from the importance of teaching the three R's to just saying, yeah, you know what, so long as you make the, oh no, even if you don't make the effort, we're going to give you a passing grade. What's going to happen to these kids 20, 30 years out when they get into the real world and they have to really compete and find out they're incapable of doing so because in their mind, two plus two equals six. Well, I say we have to keep them all in Portland. <laughs> That's what we got to do. I mean, if Portland's going to do this, then we have to make a deal with Portland. Okay, Portland, all of your graduates cannot leave the city limits. You deal with the mess that you just created. Because let me tell you what, for your listeners, what's going on. Um, they are they are going to reimagine the grading policy to where you cannot give, a teacher cannot give a student below a 50. Now, on the face, that might seem somewhat fair. You know, the zero is very harsh. It can really throw you off with just one assignment. But let me pull this onion back even more. You have to give a student a 50, whether they turn the assignment in and vomit, whether they ignore the assignment and just don't turn it in at all. So they get automatically 50%. You get 50% for doing absolutely nothing. Okay, this is educational socialism is what it is. And then the other part is they can cheat and still get 50%. So you can be a crook and still be not apparently that smart because you didn't cheat very well. <laughs> you still get a 50. And, and, and this is what is an absolute insanity. We are not preparing future generations of workers, of citizens. We're not preparing future generations of critical thinkers. What we are preparing is future generations that are going to be incompetent, that they're not going to be able to do basic functions and, and, and operate in society, what we are creating is future wards of the state. State, And that's a dangerous thing. And you have to ask yourself, this must be what they want, because who would subject a child to this? Who would say, okay, we're not going to let you ever fail no matter what you do. So by the time you hit 18 and enter the real world, you're going to get a culture shock. This is educational child abuse. And, and, and it's all based upon this radical egalitarian theory of equity. And this is not equity. This is not equality. This isn't just, Craig. We are taking children, and this is in schools, K through 12 schools. We should be preparing children to be great citizens. Yes, they need to know math and science and social studies and English. But above all else, the purpose of our education system is to create critical thinkers that will be productive citizens by the time they get that high school diploma. And how in the world is giving a student a 50% for doing absolutely nothing or cheating creating that citizen? It's not. And I have to tell you, Craig, it's all part of this. And when I say liberal, I'm not necessarily saying politically liberal. It's that, that, that off-core liberal socialist ideology that believes that the whole world must reach the same outcomes. 
and this is a cancer in our in our school system. There's undoubtedly a fair amount of support by the unions in this, because let's face it, if you lower the bars for the students, along with them come the bars for the teachers. So suddenly, not only do the kids get a passing grade, but so too do the teachers. Nobody is there to criticize and say, gosh, my son, my daughter can't uh, can't add, uh, you know, simple uh, math, and yet you've given them a passing grade. So clearly there's something deficient in the instruction. No. So it's an easy way for them to get off scot-free. But I think you're right. I mean, how we would not consider this to be educational malpractice is beyond me because, you know, the whole rationale that there are so-called, quote-unquote, racial disparities in our past fail approach to education, uh, while there may indeed be issues related to certain students of a certain socioeconomic arena that do not perform as well instead of saying well clearly we need to step up our game we need to provide additional education additional tutoring additional resources and tools for these students in order to help lift them and elevate them so that they can effectively uh, compete uh, scholastically no instead we just lower the bar which which almost suggests you know they talk about this being based on so-called you know racial inequity rationale but it seems to me it's almost playing into that notion that instead of saying look we know all kids, no matter what their their um, racial makeup may be, are all created in God's image and all have the capacity to be scientists and doctors and lawyers and even presidents. So we recognize the failure here is not the kids and their lack of intelligence. It's the system and our unwillingness, apparently, to admit that there's a problem or a flaw with the system. So instead, we lower the bar. Here's the question for you, dear educator, and I'll have you answer the, the respond, Joe, after the break, because I don't want to interrupt you. But the, the question is... Are we not essentially lowering the bar to allow the unions to get away scot-free? And if not, aren't the kids at the end of the day going to be the ones that are going to suffer? Because I don't care what emotional spin you put on this. If a kid graduates from school with inferior math skills and gets a job as a cashier and someone purchases a $5 hot dog, hands the cashier a $10 bill, and that student hands them back $20 in change, I'm going to guess, I'm going to hazard a guess that the owner of that establishment, the employer of that individual is probably not going to allow them to stay in that position very long. Just a wild thought. Or do we need to now change that, too, so that it's not about the outcomes? It's rather all about how we feel. Wow. Joe Murray with us as we take a look at a proposal in the city of Portland. Not just a proposal. It is a new policy called equitable grading. And while on the surface purports to level the playing field field amongst a variety of racial um, uh, makeups and, and minorities and what have you, what it's really doing is failing our kids and failing them completely and utterly. We'll get back to more of our conversation with lawyer, author, and educator Joe Murray as this edition of Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. New policy in Portland. And better believe they're going to look at it in California soon. 
This policy stipulates that they're going to now practice equitable rating policies. And if you remember the old sliding scale, right, the teachers would would grade based on an average so that if there was a smart kid in the class and really dumb kid in the class and you came in right about the middle, at least you got a passing grade. Yeah, they're going to put all that out the window because they want to make sure that even if you don't meet expectations, don't turn in your assignment on time, either incomplete or missing altogether, for showing no effort at all, at minimum, you'll get a 50 percentile grade. Wow. Now, yeah. back to my my scenario, Joe Murray, and that is simply this. Um, child gets a passing grade, matriculates to the next grade level, finishes his or her tenure in the uh, K through 12 system, now goes to get a job working as a cashier for a local uh, convenience outlet. Somebody comes in, buys a $5 hot dog, pays for it with a $10 bill, is handed $20 in change. That's not going to happen too many times before the proprietor says, you can't count. So come back to me when you can. I mean, what what do educators think they're doing here? Is this just a matter of getting them in and getting them out and collecting the money? Is the notion of preparing young men and women for life in the future, is that completely being dispensed with now in Portland? Well, and I think there has to be a distinction. So I'm going to tell you, I think most educators are going to be against this because most educators are in this business to help kids. And this policy does not help kids. What it does is it helps bureaucrats or educrats, which I like to call them. These are district offices. These are state education departments who want to kind of pad the numbers and hide the numbers and don't have failing grades. So this is a great way to kind of gloss it over, push the kids through, keep the cattle call coming, and you don't have to deal with with holding kids back because it's very hard to fail if the lowest grade you can get is a 50. All you have to do is pull a couple 70s and bada bing, bada boom, you're in. And I think most students are against this, especially the students who come and try. And I'm not talking about the, the brainiacs and the kids that have it going. I'm talking about the kids that are right there in the middle. They come in, they hand in their work, they do what they're supposed to do. They go home, they study, they try, and they, try, they, they get in the middle. This is discouraging them because why should they try anymore, Craig? Why should they try to hold that middle when all they have to do is kind of sit back and put their feet up? So, and I, and I would hope parents, too, that are listening to this, this is not in the best interest of their children. We are confusing ease with excellence. We, this is about ease. This is about the path of least resistance. My grandmother used to tell me, look, it would be easy for me just to let you go jump off a cliff and not argue with you, but it takes a lot of compa- compassion and caring and love to sit here and, and fight with you. And, and I think that's what we're doing in education. We are moving away from, from working with the kids and, and fighting with them sometimes to do what's good for them to just saying, yeah, go, just go, get out of my hair. And this is the teacher unions, and these are the educrats in the state and local governments who are using our classrooms as experimental petri dishes. They are using these, the kids, the kids in these desks, they are using them and their lives and their future to experiment with this hippy-trippy policy that is not going to succeed. Because, Craig, it has not succeeded in government, it has not succeeded in societies, and it will not succeed in the classroom because it is an educational form of Marxism. 
Well, I think you just pulled the uh, the curtain back on what's really going on here, uh, that this sense of, as I call it, educational malpractice, I mean, outright laziness has very little to do with their concern about uh, the feelings of students. I mean, you know, listen, we all went through school for some of us might have been a long time ago, but I remember moments of being enormously proud of myself when I nailed an A plus and horrifically embarrassed and disappointed if I had to bring home a paper or worse yet a report card for dad to sign that had me in some subject matter as a D student when I knew in my heart of hearts I was capable of doing better and what I think is problematic here is rather than saying yes and I think that we would agree parents and educators and taxpayers alike that there are some students that in certain curricula do not excel as well as others and there are some students that may come from a background that makes their capacity to study and learn a bit more challenged. For example, take the child who grows up in a single-parent family. Mom is busy. Mom or dad, single-parent, might even hold down two jobs. So their their ability to sit down with a son or a daughter at the end of the school day and say, hey, let me help you with the home your homework. I've got a couple of hours. Let me make sure that you study the material, turn your homework in on time and are able to do well, or if you fail to do so, and there's obviously some deficiency here. Math, for example, happened to be my weak point. So let's get a tutor. Let's pay for a tutor to help you learn how to do better. So we know that there's going to be some students that because of circumstances beyond their control, and oftentimes for the parents as well, are going to be in a place where they are disadvantaged. But the answer ought to be Let's help them out. Let's provide after-school tutoring. Let's get some retired senior citizens to come and volunteer a few hours every day and help these kids. No, instead we lower the bar. How are we not setting these kids up for complete, total, utter failure in life? And, and you hit the nail on the head because what education has done is it always adopts this one-size-fits-all, everybody-must-conform, you know, get in line, get a number, type of policy because every teacher worth their salt when they see kids who are struggling have tools to help them right there might be a time when you don't want to give a kid anything less than a 50 because that kid has come in every day for help and tutoring that kid has turned in all their work and they're trying their butt off so to me i think it's a fair deal to say 50 percent is you showed up and you worked you tried. So I have no problem giving you 50% even if you got everything wrong. But what education does is, nope, you got to just give it to across the board. So the same kid who never even comes to school or never turns anything in, that child gets 50% too. It's insanity that we cannot meet these kids where they are and view this on a case-by-case basis because we can prepare kids to succeed. And I'm going to tell you, Craig, I was just like you. In math was my weak point. I had tutors. I had everything, and I struggled my entire life. And I'm going to tell you something. That told me that I best not go into astrophysics, right? I best not be an astronaut. Maybe I need to go where I'm where I'm skilled. I loved history and I loved language arts. So maybe little all, maybe teaching, maybe this. And, and and honestly, by our failures, that that guides us just as much as our successes. And the idea that we must eliminate failure in the name of equity is a great disservice because I'm going to tell you I've learned more from my failures than I have my successes. Let me ask you this, too. As an educator yourself, 
You know, I, I, for the longest time in the, the, the majority of the history of public education in America, it was 25 or 30 kids seated in desks, all facing in the same direction with the teacher in front of a blackboard teaching the lesson with the assistance of the blackboard and a school book or maybe some, <coughs> some handouts. There are some children who might excel wonderfully in that that environment. There are others that might do not as well because they have different methods of learning. By that, I mean some might do better in a visual arena where it's just put them in front of the book and let them read. Others might say, you know what, this student seems to really excel and absorb material better in an auditory fashion. And so having the content read to them aloud, for example, or or listening to things, uh, listening to educational material online line might be more effective. So I'm wondering, it's, there seems to me to be a, an extreme failure here of, number one, not recognizing that certain groups are going to be challenged more than others will be, and that certain people learn in different fashions than others. So instead of saying, let's support those who will face some challenges, and let's make sure that we are providing a broad variety of methodology when it comes to providing the the materials so that the student who does better visually gets their content, the student that does better in an auditory fashion gets their content, so everybody has an equal opportunity. And those students who don't do as well will provide some additional instruction, will provide some additional tutoring. Why is the the education arena not exploring these kinds of options, instead just saying, well, if they can't make the grade, lower the grade. I mean, it just doesn't make any sense to me, Joe. And that goes to what you had said earlier, too. It takes work. And while there are a lot of great teachers out there, there are a lot that need a lot of growth. And and what happens is to do what you said, it's possible to be done. Look, you can teach a lesson by a lecture format, but you can include videos at really good spots. You can get class participation. You can have read-alouds. You can do all this stuff, but it takes a lot of time and work to plan that every day and to ha- actually pull it off. You know, there are there are uh, a way of teaching out there now that it says either self-paced or student-paced, and you basically fling the student in front of a device and say, you're going to struggle with your education, and that will make you learn translation that means you're teaching yourself while the teacher sits at the desk and eats a snack or is on facebook or is shopping on amazon and this is not what education should be yes we have a lot you know Craig, the united states is the only country in the world that guarantees an education to every child regardless of disability age race sex, you name it. We're the only ones that do it. We take every child and we guarantee them an education. And that means it takes a lot of work. And we've gotten into a situation where I think this is where the unions come in, where they are advocating for teachers to do the least amount of work. And this is why technology, which I am not a, a complete troglodyte, this is why technology is so dangerous, because technology has become a way to water down teacher teaching. Here, here, students, Go on to this uh, device, go on to this app, teach yourself, and I'll assess the information by asking you a question, but don't bother me for 30 minutes while I sit at my desk. 
this is the problem we have. We need to get back to the basic, basics of education, which is the teacher needs to be at the forefront. They need to have an engaging class and they need to be able to teach to multiple learners. And, and one thing that you have to learn, because I know when I was in school and I know I'm sure you were in school, I remember the teacher always told me that, you know, every 13 minutes, uh, I have to kind of recalibrate because that's what your attention span is. And for me, that was in the 80s. Can you imagine what the attention span is today? <laughs> yeah, well, TikTok set the standard for that, hasn't it? Exactly. So if you're not constantly changing, and, and it's not that these kids are not able to learn, it's just that technology has rewired their mind that you have to give them information in short bursts, and you have to do it in a way that captivates their mind. Uh, you have to do it in a way that they're familiar with and they can learn. But again, this takes effort and flexibility. And what this 50% total does, uh, if you know that's all you get, is it takes the incentive for both the student to work at the grade and the teacher to work at teaching. Well, the other thing, too, is it also robs the student of the capacity to understand what exactly their their abilities are or how successful they are in comparison to others. And people say, well, that isn't fair. Well, grow up, get a life. Life itself is not fair. Isn't it better to allow a student to realize, guess what, this is not your strong point, which means either from a career standpoint, you need to steer yourself in a different direction, or you're going to have to work a little bit harder than other students in order to make the grade. But that's not a bad thing. And Joe, let me ask you this again. I'm going to ask the question, and then we'll have you answer it after the break. And that is, is this demonstrative of the notion that we need to rethink education at multiple levels? And here's why I pose that question. This particular scenario in Portland, on face value to me, seems like we're treating education as if it's a charity, meaning that we're doing the kids a favor, and if they happen to fail, that's their fault, not ours, because we're just giving it away. And then, of course, we shift by the time they finish high school into treating education like it's a business. If you got the money to pay, we'll educate you. If you don't, well, your educational opportunities be a lot less. But watch out now, because if you want to make anything out of yourself in life, you have to have a college or a university education. But then we make it so impossible, so expensive, that even if they do succeed at that, they end up getting saddled with decades worth of hundreds of thousands of dollars of student indebtedness. And I think some people in this country fail to recognize that we're certainly not alone in that, but we're largely unique in the Western world in that a lot of successful Western societies say we got to make every opportunity for every child to be able to get a quality education, not just K through 12, but through their collegiate or university um, matriculation as well. But in America, no, no. It's either a charity, K through 12, or a business thereafter. And the ones that were failing at the end of the day are the kids. Do we need a fundamental, fresh approach to how we look at equipping young people for their future? We'll have Joe Murray tackle that question. Our conversation with lawyer, author, and educator Joe Murray continues in just a moment here on KFAX. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. We look at what's happening in the country today. We look at the amount of 
political and societal unrest. We look at the challenges that we face in um, in international uh, competition. Yeah, China seems to be faltering, but not because of their, their lack of willingness or hard work. That's to be sure. And then we ask ourselves, I wonder what's going on? What's happened? I am reminded of that line from... Um, Shakespeare's um, Julius Caesar. The fault, dear Brutus, is not in our stars, but in ourselves. And we are likely really the only ones to blame for this trajectory that we're on. Joe Murray is with us today. He is a best-selling author, constitutional lawyer, and educator. And um, Joe, I want to come back to that question that I posed just before the break and and this this notion that not only are we dispensing with a lot of fundamentals here in, in failing our students, but wondering whether or not this is indicative of a notion that it's only one part of a small problem of a much larger problem that suggests, as I mentioned before the break, that we treat K-12 through as if we're doing kids a favor, like it's some kind of minuscule charity. And then when they get on to college and university, we want to treat it like big business. It's all about the money. And I would wonder if perhaps both of those approaches are utterly failing our, our children. Well, it is, because if you think about it on both sides, Craig, it's a monopoly. Uh, it's a monopoly through K through 12, which is why we can have no standard, right, which is why we can experiment with kids. At, and, and use experiments that no sane person would ever do if you were actually tied to some form of accountability. And then you go to the college level, and it's a monopoly. So they're not concerned with actually producing a, a student who is capable of, of advancing in the world. They're concerned with tuition checks. So they will get you in, and they will let you take any major you want, including medical dance, you know, in 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 Austria, whatever you want, and they'll give you a degree, and then now you're slapped with three hundred grand in debt and a degree in medical dance that nobody will use. Uh, so I mean, if if we had accountability, if we ran, and I understand you can't run education like a pure for-profit business, but we have to ask ourselves what is the product being sold in both. K through 12 and in public uh, and in higher education. And we have to ask ourselves if it wasn't that everybody was forced to go here in terms of K through 12 or felt they needed a piece of paper from the higher education, would you actually buy this product? Mm. And if it wasn't so heavily subsidized in the higher education, would you go or would you decide to go to a trade school or something else? So, but I, I really believe that in K through 12, and we got to ask ourselves if we could go into a poll of the parents. And say, are you satisfied with the product? And if I think we've got the result to be very clear. You'd have to ask yourself, would Portland play around with this this crazy equity policy of, of 50% if parents had the opportunity to say, look, Portland, well, you're free to do that, but I'm free to take my and go elsewhere. I have a feeling all these crackpot theories that you and I have talked about over the years would disappear very quickly as soon as you lose the captive Well, and I think part of the problem here, too, Joe, to dig back a little, to dig down a little bit deeper is the notion that 
public education on an increasing basis, and the story out of Portland is is demonstrative of this, that seems to treat kids like they're the product as opposed to the consumer. And you, you, you yeah. touched on this a moment ago. If we tra- taught kids or approach this as if the kids were the consumer, meaning they're the client, and most clients to most businesses, if they go into a restaurant and the food is lousy, guess what? They complain to the manager, they get up, and they walk out and they never return. And a restaurant like that repeatedly serves up horrible food, doesn't stay in business very long. And I think it's high time that we start treating kids as if how they feel, what they receive, the value that they get for their 12 years, 13 years of experience within the educational system, K through 12, that that if they're not satisfied, then what they need to be able to do is have the ability to fire, you know, either boycott the restaurant or fire the teacher, so to speak, which is why I've long advocated for um, school choice, simply because it, it, it basically puts the feet to the fire to educators and moves everybody over onto the same side of the ledger in terms of making sure that we are equipping students. Now, again, as you pointed out earlier, not every student is going to excel in every arena of every aspect of education. So fine, let's give them the basic skills that they need to be able to survive and then concentrate on the areas where they excel and they exceed so that we can essentially help to foster those abilities so that the kid that's got a real you know knack for a steady hand maybe grows up to become the brain surgeon and the other kid who's got a gift for gab maybe indeed becomes the politician but to not take this one size fits all approach and at the end of the day say you know what some kids are going to have to learn to understand what it means to not always be an absolute success at everything. You know, when I was a kid, I learned I'm not good at math. I'm never going to be good at math. I've never been good at math. But that's okay. I've embraced the other arenas where I do have better skills. So why not do that for all kids? Well, and I think we're seeing that now. This started really, Craig, in the 90s. Thankfully, I missed this with the everyone gold star participation of the ID. And we're seeing the impact of it now. I mean, if you look at our workforce now, we're hearing people about working three-hour shifts. Okay, they're going to TikTok and they're whining, oh, the humanity, the torture, I can't stand it. I only got, I only got a five-hour break. What can I do? I mean, it's, we're, we're, we have programmed a con- entire generation that, A, you don't have to work hard to succeed, and B, you, just by being you, get to trump all the experience of other people because you know you're you and you've always been a gold star. And this is dangerous because you have to want to come up to the ranks. You have to learn how to put in your you say you know your time to get your stripes. I mean, it's a right passage. It's not it's not torture. It's what you do in order to hone your craft. Because if you come out, Lord have mercy, if I would have if I would have been doing what I did now at twenty three, you know, this, believing the same thing, I'd be a disaster right now. You learn as you grow. And, and, and unfortunately, that takes time, and, and, and so much in education wants to skip that time. And that takes it back to what you said. Education is a product, and the students and the parents are the consumers. And look what's happening across our country, Craig. When parents and students step up and they say, look, I don't like the product you're selling. I think we need to change it. Look what's going on. You actually have school boards now that are trying to limit 
the access parents get to speak at these meetings because they don't want to hear it. We have school boards that have arrested parents for coming. We have school boards that have done all sorts of things to silence the parents because the parents are critics. And we're seeing this more and more and more. Uh, you know, the thing is, uh, you know, we're not going to be able to solve education overnight, but we really do need to have some element of choice come into this because the moment parents can take their kids and walk, schools are going to panic because at the end of the day, these schools, these public schools live by their student counts. And if those student counts go down, so too will the federal dollars. So if you gave the parents the ability to use their feet and walk, you would see these schools push this equity nonsense out and bring excellence back. Because at the end of the day, everyone knows, both parents, student, and teacher, that our goal should be excellence and not equity. Equity needs to be something that we can try to do to help get to the excellence, but equity should not be the end goal. And to also prepare our kids for what will be inevitable experiences in life, that it's not always going to go their way, they're not always going to be given a passing grade, that in some areas they're going to succeed, in other areas they're going to fail. And you know what? Failure is not the worst thing in the world. In fact, failure can be one of the most effective teachers there is. But but constantly worrying about not even the outcomes anymore. We're more concerned about how the kids feel. At least that seems to be what is being put forward at the end of the day and we'll dive into this a bit deeper joe after the break at the end of the day though i've got to believe that this is more about faulty educators protecting themselves and their jobs than it is about protecting what's in the best interest of children and the future of our nation best-selling author lawyer and educator joe murray with us tonight a timeout back with more as lifeline continues And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Let me say something to those of you eavesdropping saying, wow, good thing it's not me. Boy, we're so glad we've decided to homeschool our kids or send them to private school. Uh, Please be mindful of the fact that it's still coming out of your tax dollars. You're still paying for a lot of this nonsense. And we are all going to reap the rewards of an ever-increasingly ignorant society. I mean, we've already seen on display over the last five, six years the complete, utter lack of critical thinking skills in this country. And all we need to do is to nurture this level of ignorance for a generation or two more and uh, you know we're back again to the quote from Shakespeare right so Joe Marie let me ask you this Um, what is it going to take to also call the bluff here because at the end of the day while we know it's being marketed as equitable grading fair to disadvantaged children etc etc it seems to me that the only ones that really benefit from this they're certainly not the general public not the parents not the students but the lazy tenured teachers who now no longer have to put any effort in and no longer have to demonstrate any degree of of their performance outcome it seems to me that really the winner here in this approach to education in portland is going to be the educators themselves yeah it's the educators and it's also the the school district those holding district offices the superintendent the school board they all benefit from this because the standards are lowered and if the standards are lowered they have to do less 
and and you have to understand, and you you've hit it on it very well, is that really education has sort of become a, a money game tied in with an ideology game. Uh, it's all about making sure that you 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 are able to keep those kids in the seats, and that you're able to move them along. So how are you able to move them along? So let's lower the bar so we make going from grade to grade so much easier. Or better yet, why don't we start talking about how holding a kid back is now inequitable? And we shouldn't do that. So let's just pass them right on through. You know, who cares, uh, you know, whether or not you're in eighth grade and you can't do two plus two. Uh, so, I mean, it, it really becomes a, a, a situation where education has isolated it so, uh, so it's become so isolated from the normal mainstream American society that it truly believes that it's operating in the best interest of the kids, not knowing that it has really taken itself out of that American experiment, because what has this country been built on? The, the, the manifest destiny of the individual and the ability to achieve one's own through hard work and grit. And what have we done? We no longer have individuals. This, this Portland policy is clear. We're saying it's an equitable grading practice. So what does that mean? Because some students of some color may struggle, we're gonna make it across the board that every student of color must struggle. We're gonna demean that every student based upon race, which to me is just crazy. And the other thing is, we're not gonna work anymore. Just show up and you're gonna get 50%. And, and this is the wrong message, it's the wrong work ethic, it's the wrong value. And it's really not only anti-American, it's anti-Western. And that, Craig, gets me to wonder, is that the point? Well, what's particularly upsetting, I think, Joe, is that we're setting our kids up for absolute, utter failure. And, um, you know, they're, they're going to reap the whirlwind of disaster, uh, particularly as this nation slips in its ability to be able to complete its compete globally. Because we no longer have the standards necessary in order to assure that children are being given the kind of education that they need to survive. Yeah. Meanwhile, while China's having Saturday school and, and you're fighting to get into Saturday school in China and Korea and in and, and Japan, what are we doing in places in the middle of the country? We're going to four day a week school. Right. Uh, you know, we're, we're, we're trying to make it less. The world is laughing at us. They, they really can't believe that a country that, that was so great that owned the, the 20th century. I mean, it was truly the American century. We were pioneers in everything. Our schools were the best. We, we produced the most, uh, the most advancements. We were able to put a man on the moon. And now what are we doing here? We can't even tell the difference between a man and a woman. Uh, so, and I mean, and we let our schools go to the point where we can't even let kids get a zero. So within less than a, a half a century, we went from the gold standard to now we're 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 basically the basically the Chevrolet Chevette. We went from the Cadillac to the Chevette. Yeah, right? scraping the bottom of the barrel, sadly, Joe. And I think that uh, you know we as taxpayers and involved citizens and parents and grandparents. Uh, we need to stand up. We need to say enough is enough. We need to show up at school board meetings and complain. We need to run for school board. And uh, we need to demand that changes are made because if not, we are looking at nothing short than the ruination of our nation. And sadly, the politicians are not talking about this. Yeah, they're, they're, they're too busy worried about who's gone to the debate stage and who isn't and all this other nonsense. And at the end of the day, not a bit of it matters one iota if we don't talk about the impact that things like this in Portland are going to have on future generations. Joe Murray, best-selling author, lawyer, educator, and um, the author of the best-selling book, 
Take Back Education. Check it out online. Joe Murray is always my friend. We appreciate the time. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.